so the past five or six weeks, we've been going through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount as part of uh, this sermon series that I had entitled Revival. Let's make sure this works. There we go. Uh, and so what I'm going to do this morning is kind of go through a couple at a time summarizing. And again, I encourage you, there's pens in the back, there's Bibles in the back. You have something to write on as well as the Lord brings things to mind that you might share. Um, but it begins with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And all these Beatitudes are going to build on each other. They're not just a bunch of random sayings of Jesus. And he begins by saying, the one who's favored by God, the one who God approves of, is the one who comes poor in spirit. It's an interesting way to start. The poor in spirit are those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt and are dependent upon God for everything. He says, blessed are those who come not with a spiritual resume in their hands, outlining all the ways, that all the things they have done, all the reasons God should you know, welcome them and bless them and all of that, but just come empty. Those who come knowing that they have nothing to offer, that anything good in their lives is a gift from God that they're just giving back to him. Those who recognize that every single breath they breathe is a dependent gift from God. Every breath that we breathe depends on God. It's best exemplified in what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. If we can get the slide to move, please. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the person who is poor in spirit, coming empty with nothing but to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, that's the one who goes home justified. Or as Paul put it, in Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks he is no something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, the one that God blesses, the one that God favors and approves of is the one who comes empty, spiritually bankrupt, dependent completely on God. Not standing on their own righteousness, not pretending that there's anything in and of themselves that makes themselves acceptable to God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, there is this mountain that you have to scale the heights you have to climb, and the first thing you must realize as you look at that mountain which you were told you must ascend is that you cannot do it, that you are utterly incapable in and of yourself, and that any attempt to do it in your own strength is proof positive that you have not understood it. And as Andrew Murray put it, just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds you abased and empty, his glory and power flow in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who come empty, those who come low, will be filled. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. And when he talks about mourning, he's specifically talking, I believe, about mourning your sin. So it's not just an intellectual thing that, yes, I understand that I'm a sinner before a holy God, but that I have come to grips emotionally with what that means. That I have looked my sin full in the face, that I have looked at the gap between God's expectations, his holiness, and my sin, and how far short I fall. 
and it has hit me emotionally. I've understood the ramifications of that, how my sin has wrecked my life in so many ways, how it has negatively impacted those around me every time I've been self-centered and done my own thing, and most importantly, how it has caused the, the Son of God to have to die for me. This prayer was from the Valley of Vision. Searcher of hearts, it is a good day to me when thou givest me a glimpse of myself. Sin is my greatest evil, but thou art my greatest good. I have cause to loathe myself and not to seek self-honor, for no one desires to commend his own dunghill. My country, family, church fare worse because of my sins. This is so countercultural, isn't it? Instead of just kind of building up your self-esteem and saying, hey, come on, like, you know, look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself how amazing you are. This is the exact opposite of that. This is saying, come honest. Don't hide it. Don't minimize your sin. Don't shift the blame to another person. Don't try to rationalize it away. But come honest before a holy God. Because as you begin to not only face the fact of your sin, but mourn it, that is where God begins to have the power and the, the opportunity to transform your heart. And so what I want to do this morning before we move on in worship is this. Let's take a minute between you and the Lord, or, or a couple minutes if you really need some time to do this. Come honest before the Lord and confess your sins. Do not lower the bar of God's standards. Do not minimize your sins. Do not rationalize them away. Do not shift the blame to others. Just between you and the Lord, let's take some time before him to come poor in spirit and mourning our sin. Lord, when we stand before you, we cannot point the finger at anyone else. It is just us, and it is you. Shine your light into our hearts. Reveal anything in us that is not pleasing to you, that is not good for us, good for others, good for this world. Help us to see the depth of our sin, to understand the impact that it has. So that we might open ourselves up to your incredible grace and mercy and love. Transform us, we pray this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus goes on to say this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And remember, these build off each other. And so as we come poor in spirit, recognizing our complete dependence upon God and need for him, as we mourn our sin, as we recognize the gap between his expectations and where we are and his promises he have and what we're experiencing in our lives, the logical response, if we were logical, would be meekness. And meekness, in case you don't know what that means, it does not mean weakness. It's, it's strength under control. You know, Jesus was meek. He was not weak. It was he had the strength to, you know, to, to wipe out anyone who was trying to kill him and put him on the cross. But he said, no, he was going to submit himself to the Lord's will for him. And in the same way, meekness is recognizing like that horse that bows its head to its master. I'm going to submit myself to the Lord. I recognize how my sin leads me astray and makes a mess of my life, and I recognize that God created me and knows what is best, and so I submit myself to him, to his wise, to his good leadership. That's meekness, humbly taking the lowest place before God and then humbly taking the lowest place before others, 
because we know the truth about ourselves. And so we're willing to serve others, to not take offense at what others say about us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, he said this, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. The man who is truly meek is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Again, when you know the truth about yourself, when you are honest about your sin, when you have mourned it and seen the impact it's had, then you're amazed that God could show you such grace and such mercy. You're amazed that anyone else would stick by you and not run screaming when you know the truth about yourself. And then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who see the gap, again, between what God has promised and what we're experiencing, between what God expects and where we are and are not content to stay where they are, but hunger and thirst for more of him. They will be satisfied. They will find God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Righteousness is having a right relationship with God and with others. It's knowing him, living for him. He says, blessed are those who that is their desire. That is what they are hungering and thirsting after. They're not going after the things of this world anymore because they've shown themselves to be empty. They cannot satisfy. And so they want more and more and more of God. We read this at the beginning, but I'll read it again. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are not running after the things of this world, but know that in God is found everything your heart is longing for. And so again, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Between you and the Lord, again, ask God to stir a hunger for him in your spirit, along with a humble trust to obey him. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we confess before you, nothing in this world can satisfy the longings of our heart. And we turn to so many things and run after so many things thinking they will. But they don't satisfy, Lord. Help us to get that through our heads and our hearts and to instead run after you, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, to live for you and your glory, to enjoy you, Lord, to hunger and thirst for you. Fill us, Lord, with your presence. This morning, Lord, pour out your spirit in this place. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus continues and he says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So as we've come poor in spirit, we've mourned our sin, we in meekness have submitted ourselves to God's good leadership and taken the humble place before each other, 
and we hunger and thirst for more of God and his righteousness. And now it continues to say that we are merciful. Blessed are the merciful. And mercy is compassion towards someone experiencing the consequences of sin, plus action to relieve the suffering. That as we've seen God's mercy towards us, that even though he's holy and we are not, that he has sent his son Jesus to die for us and forgiven us and shown us mercy every day, it transforms our hearts so that we show mercy to others. We don't treat others as their sins deserve. And we are looking out for those who are suffering so that we might have pity and compassion on them and help them the way that the Lord helped us. Like the parable of the Good Samaritan, not walking by the one in the street, but being willing to stop and help. Like the person who's been forgiven a billion dollars, not turning around and throwing the fellow servant in jail, but forgiving them as well. Mercy is being willing to inconvenience yourself, to risk your own safety, and to bear the cost for anyone as need, even your enemy. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us, that mercy goes to that extent. And First John tells us, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That even though we know that our hearts are not pure, in Christ he gives us a new heart. We are a new creation. He's replaced our old heart with a new heart. And now he gives us his power, his strength to go after him, to seek him more and more. And as we are becoming more and more pure in our heart and our desire to just know him and be like him, we begin to see him more clearly. In the Bible, we begin to see him. In, in nature, we begin to see him. In our circumstances, we begin to see him. We begin to see God more clearly all around us as we try to live, as we become more and more pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. We know that in Christ, God has made peace with us and he sent us out to be ministers of peace. If it is all possible, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. To work through conflict. To not be comfortable with a false peace, a fake peace. But to work through conflict to find peace with others. To seek to bring peace between others and God and between people who are at odds with each other. Blessed are the peacemakers. Remember what Jesus said, Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. That's the false peace, the false prophets who said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But God calls us to be peacemakers, to enter into conflict and bring peace. So what I'm going to challenge you to do in this prayer time is to go out of your comfort zone just a little bit. Pray with someone that you did not come with today about a relationship or relationships in your life where you need God's help to be merciful, to be pure in your motivations, or to be a peacemaker. If there is a relationship in your life in particular where you need God's help in one of these areas, if you brought a kid, of course your kid can stay with you. Don't worry about that. But I want to encourage you to stand, to find someone near you who you did not come with, and to pray for them, okay? Ask them to share. Who, who can I pray with you about? And then to pray for them. So... Ready to be brave?
All right, stand up and find someone and spend some time in prayer with them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. We do pray, God, that you would help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be merciful as you have been merciful to us. Help us to be pure in heart, have integrity in our intentions and our motivations, Lord, to not be deceitful in any way. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus concludes the Beatitudes with this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In some ways, it seems, as I said last week, odd to think that those who are peacemakers, those who are humble and meek and all of that would be persecuted. But Jesus says, if you're truly following me, if you're truly faithful to me, they will do to you what they did to me. They will persecute you. They will mock you. They will falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That if everyone thinks well of you, then you're probably not following Jesus. You're probably more concerned about the reactions of the crowd. You're probably more concerned about the approval of others than being faithful to him. He says, if you're going to choose to be faithful to me, you will be persecuted. Partly because the message is a message of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus, and those are exclusive and difficult things. To not just live a life that says, hey, live as you let live and you know, do as you want to do, but instead preaches that there is a gospel, there is a truth, there is a God. And he has demanded of us holiness. And we have fallen short, and we do need a Savior, and no one can save themselves. And Jesus is the only way. All of that, he says, if you follow me and preach that, you will be persecuted. And if you're trying to live a holy life, if you're trying to follow me and be faithful to me, you will be mocked by others. You will be slandered by others. But he says, blessed are you when that happens because you know your faith is genuine. Because you've chosen to honor Jesus over your own comfort. Rejoice. Because Satan knows who you are. You're a threat to him. That's why he's persecuting you. You're in a spiritual battle. And there is an enemy. And if you're being persecuted, it means that the enemy knows who you are because you belong to Jesus. Rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, he says. Anything you go through in this world, anything you have to give up, anything that you lose here on earth will not compare with what you will have forever when you are with him. John 15, 18 to 21, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship. And then last verse here, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Paul said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, 
yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I believe all the kids went to Sunday school, right? Okay, good. We're going to pray together uh, out loud as the Lord leads you. Let's pray together and raise our voices as a congregation. Um, if you're not comfortable ra- praying out loud, that's okay. Just pray in your hearts to the Lord. But let's pray that God would help us, us as a church and his church worldwide, to walk f- in faithfulness to him no matter what comes our way. Because we talk about persecution, and obviously we know that we know nothing about persecution, right? (laughs) We know that there are Christians around the world who hear these words and take them to heart because they are being persecuted for their faith. They are being martyred. They are suffering for what they believe. And so let's take some time to pray for ourselves that we would walk in faithfulness in whatever comes our way and for the church worldwide that they would walk in faithfulness no matter what comes their way. So again, Be brave, pray as the Lord leads, raise your voices, and let's come to the Lord. Lord, the calling you've placed before us is a high calling, it's a hard calling, and we thank you that Jesus went ahead of us. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and now you ask us to fix our eyes on him, to not look to the left or the right at the crashing waves at anything that seeks to overwhelm us, at the persecution, at the opposition, but to help to walk in faithfulness behind him. And so we pray, God, for your church, that we would walk in faithfulness to you, that we would be the church you've called us to be, that we would not change what we believe or how we act on the basis of how the world reacts to us, Lord, but we would instead walk in faithfulness to you pointing people to the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to open it up for testimonies, and uh, I encouraged you to consider how either these past 21 days where I encourage you to find some way of fasting and seeking the Lord, replacing the things that we normally turn to for our comfort and joy and satisfaction and turning to the Lord instead I encourage you to do that for the past 21 days, and as we've gone through this sermon series as well, if there's anything from either of those two things that you feel that you want to share, that God did in your life, that that you learned, that you feel like is something for our church, please be brave, come up here and share. Otherwise, I'll keep talking, and I don't want to keep talking. I'd prefer to hear from you. And so um, I'll share one quick thing, and then I'll I'll turn the mic over. Um, You know, part of the foundational... Part of the foundation of this whole revival series is that God is worthy to be sought, right? That this is not a program where you're going to analyze the results, right? It's not that you say, all right, we're going to pray for revival for two months, and then we're going to analyze what happened. Like, did the numbers grow, you know? Did, did the finances grow? Anything like that. It's not how God works, right? That we seek his face because he's worthy, worthy to be sought. That's it. Same with fasting. Sometimes you go in fasting thinking like, all right, I'm doing this and I'm asking for this and if it doesn't happen, well, that was a waste. And no, <laughs> it's the same thing. We fast, we seek him because he's worthy to be sought. And God has always challenged me, you know, what if, what if I called you to pray for revival and then I brought revival to another church, you know? 
brought revival to another person's life? What if you prayed for all of these amazing things and I did those for other people as a result of your prayer? Would you praise me for that? Or would you say, what about me? What if we were just called to pray until the end of our lives and it was going to be a future generation that was going to reap the benefits of that? Would you be okay with that? We seek his face because he's worthy to be sought. We pray and we seek him not for what he can give us because he's worthy, because he's given us himself and we want more of him. And fasting, you know, sometimes I have this attitude, okay, I'm, I'm laying this down, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this up. But what I find when I fast is then the Lord says, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know? Because there's nothing you can't give up that I can not replace with more of me, with something better. It's not that you're just giving something up. You're gaining something better. Instead of turning to things that won't satisfy, you're turning to me. So again, I encourage you. I'm going to open it up. There'll be an awkward silence, and then someone will be brave and get up here first. And I encourage you to come and share. Well, since I have a mic handy, I'm going to start. <laughs> I just wanted to say quickly that uh, that the greatest thing for, for me in the last 21 days is having really struggled, um, really looked at uh, the Beatitudes in a different way, but that that struggle often I'll see as a, as a negative, I really saw as a great positive, and that I was grateful to God that he gave me a heart that wanted to struggle against the old set ways and, and to see God in a brand new, fresh way. So, so uh, the struggle has been difficult, but it's been a really uh, a blessing in my life. I'll be brave. <clears throat> um, so for the past five months, I've been dealing, struggled with anxiety, depression, um, suicidal thoughts. I was hospitalized because of my suicidal thoughts. And it started because I, when, when I would eat, I would feel like I was choking. And so I stopped eating and just was on a liquid diet. And all the tests kept coming back that there's nothing wrong. Um, and I kept praying and praying. And every test that showed up that I, there was nothing wrong, I would just instead of believing in God and trusting God, I, I just started to think, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? I can't live like this anymore. Um, and as I was sharing with Holly, um, God is always there, even when you don't think he is. And when I was hospitalized and I was waiting to be transferred to Mount Sinai and I was in the ER, one of the orderlies had tattoos all over and I'm very intrigued by tattoos. So I asked him um, about them and he was explaining all the different meanings and like the fourth tattoo he told me about, he it was a scripture verse and it said, um, it was the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in that moment, I just felt like God was talking directly to me, saying, I'm here. 
I'm, I'm here with you even if you don't, even if you haven't believed it, I'm still here. I'm still giving you strength to get through this. And so throughout my whole hospital stay and throughout the rest of my journey back to being healthy, that phrase, that verse has just been a, a big part of me um, and really helped me when I've started to struggle a little. So I just wanted to share that God, even though we don't think he's there, he is always there. Um, even when you're at your lowest point and you don't think he's listening, he is always listening. Hey, good morning. Um, my name's Dwayne Mackey, for those who might not know me. Um, I think what this last three weeks has done for me is that um, I've tried to practice for years to look into the mirror and see the decrepit, rotten guy that's looking back at me, because you know I, I truly believe that on my own, I can do nothing. I mean, I've, I've told myself those words for many, many years. I've tried to live those as, 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 as truthful as I possibly can. I'm reminded in Scripture continuously that uh, um, that you know, as, as a human being, we are, we're 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 born into a very sinful, broken world. We're part of that. It influences us all the time. It just constantly, constantly influences us. So I've I've been able to for years to just look and see that I'm a pretty lowly piece of garbage in most ways. I mean, you know, that's just the way we are as human beings. But I think what really impacted me more this time here was was the second part about about mourning, and it wasn't just for my own sin. It's really for the sins of my brothers and sisters who I love so much. Um, as an elder of the church here, you know, I, you get this opportunity um, to, to, um, to be a shepherd, which means to smell like sh sheep, where you're getting involved with people's lives. Uh, you, you're, you have the opportunity to really get into the trenches of where their hearts are struggling. And when you, when you step into that, you're reminded constantly of how broken and hurt people are. And uh, at all levels, every one of us are hurting somewhere. We, we, we all are. There's, there's just pain. There's difficulty. And uh, so I, I, I didn't feel like a mourning from my own heart because I think I've been doing it for years anyway. But I, I had this deeper sensation of God helped me to mourn for other people. And, uh, and so um, uh, that's, I think, has been the biggest impact. I mean, you know, when we look around at each other, I don't care if it's your, if it's your spouse, if it's your children, if it's your, if it's your neighbor, we're all living in this broken world, and to have reality of what that is and have compassion for each other, to show love, to show concern, to show, you know, you get to give your time, to give your heart to other people is such an uh, important impact. And so uh, that's where my impact was from this study. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Kim Beal, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I want to say to you, Kim, that um, I've been there as well. Um, so you're going to get through this. We're, we'll, yeah. <laughs> um, but what I've been doing the past 21 days, listening to the Beatitudes and really reflecting, and also um, having the opportunity to read through um, the Holiness of God book, um, really just taking a look at, uh, since I've been coming to this church, I feel like I have been built up a great deal, uh, which is a good thing. 
but sometimes we don't look far enough inward to see if we are truly respecting the holiness of God. And um, that's what I've been trying to do the past 21 days. And um, I have definitely fallen short, um, but I'll get there. Going through Lent, the 21 days, it gave me an idea of what Jesus went through. I gave up soap opera and started watching Christian programs and praying more. And you could do all things through Christ. Thank you. I'm Gloria. Um, I had a real revelation um, during these 21 days. Um, Eric talked about, you know, really seeing how sinful we are. And um, uh, my daughter and I have had a very conflicting relationship for many years now. Um, at times it's extreme and at times it was very, very hurtful. Um, but we were in, in a stage of this right now that really was hard. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. Um, what God showed me is that I'm a very prideful, sinful person and that, um, my daughter was hurt by a lot of things I did, even though a lot of them I, I didn't do on purpose. But what that proved to me is that we sin even when we don't even realize we sin. We sin because we are sinful. We have a fullness of sin within us we can't even see. And this realization helped me so much to be able to say to my daughter, I take the blame. I take the blame. You know, I did this wrong, finally. And that's what she was asking me for. Admit it. Won't you admit it? And I just, um, I think that we are on the road to reconciliation. It's going to take a long time, but... Um, I just am so thankful to God that he showed me this, and I think it's going to deepen my relationship with him so much. Um, so thank you for listening, and thank you, God. Good morning, everybody. Um, as we looked at the Beatitudes, I think what caught my attention was the chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I bet everybody wants to see God. I, I want to hear him. I want to know what he wants me to do. I want 
So it caught my mind and, and my, my attention, and I said to myself, okay, my heart has been made pure because I believe the blood of Jesus has washed me, you know, washed all my sins, made my heart pure. So what's, how does this really apply to me? And I started looking at all the verses that have, you know, a man's heart, you know, about the heart. And I remembered that there was something in first, I think it's first Samuel, or second Samuel, about uh, David and his brothers. And Samuel had gone to anoint um, one of Jesse's son, sons as uh, in the next king after Saul. And he looked at the first son of Jesse and he thought to himself, that must be the one. Because his sons were good uh, people. They were, you know, they obeyed their father. They were good. They did everything right. But God said to Samuel, that's not the one. And he said it because, and I read from the verse, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So it's actually the motivation behind my actions the thoughts behind my actions, that is important. I may be, you know, kind to somebody. I may be, you know, um, say the right things, do the right things. But what am I really thinking in my heart? Because God knows that even better than we know ourselves. And that's where, you know, my thoughts has been hinged for this past uh, few days. I kept on looking at it, and it brought again the... A verse in a Proverbs that says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. It doesn't say keep my commandments. It says let your heart keep my commandments. So I've been, you know, looking at these things and praying over them. I wish I could tell you that, you know, I have an answer or, you know, but I know that when we, when God begins to deal with us in this way, we eventually get to our destiny, where he's leading us to. So I believe that you know, we should also think about that because the purity of the heart, I think it's very important. It's very important to know what is motivating us to you know, do the things that we do, um, even praise God, worship him. What are the thoughts behind you know, what we do? For as he, he was talking of the miser, I think in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. How are you thinking in your heart, Ifoma? That's what I've been asking myself. How, you know, what are you really thinking? When you do things, the things that you do, what is behind, you know, the things that you do? I thought I would share that with you.
thank you to everyone who was brave and got up here and shared.